Next step, everything will get sandblasted. Um, everything's treated a little bit different with sandblasting as far as the substrate and um, you know what the current finish is on the parts. Bring everything over the spray booth and that's where the, the magic happens, I guess, right? Yeah. Now, the, a big part of this, especially if you're doing something that isn't just a single color, you know, is, is the stenciling. We cut them out on a high temperature um, vinyl that can withstand, you know, the heat of being in the oven. Into shooting sports, you know, they might be into guns or they might be into archery as like for target, but they haven't gone actually hunting yet. Yeah. Like they're ready to go hunting. You know, what are the, the, the first steps, the first needs that you need to keep in mind, especially when it comes to preparing to go out for mm -hmm. a hunt? You revolve my entire hunting season around the rut. Mm -hmm. Some people love late season, early season, whatever it is, but my plan revolves around the rut because I've been able to replicate it. Um, so I have six Pope and Young deer now. Um, that's a deer that scores over 125 inches. Um, they measure it out different various points, beam length, width, girth, all of that. And then it has to be taken by bow. So I am, even though we're a gun company, I'm 100% archery when I try and take my buck um, in the state of Ohio, because it's just a challenge that I've set out for myself. And with the plan that I have in place, I'm pretty successful with it. So I don't really want to change too much about it. For those of you who have been watching the podcast for a while, you may know that uh, we had Ryan Donahue from Crimson Trace on for one of our episodes to talk all things optics and red dots and some of the exciting things that CT has coming up. But I just wanted to share one of my personal favorite products of theirs, and that is their Railmaster Pro, the CMR204. So not only is it a tactical light, it's also a laser, and it has all of the industry proven technology that Crimson Trace has been known for for so many years. But they're not just limited to things like lights and lasers. They've made a big splash in the electro optics game, whether it's looking at something like a traditional rifle scope, or maybe even their new battle optic, which you may or may not have seen in some TV shows and movies recently, they have a lot to offer. So obviously you're going to be seeing some more stuff uh, of Crimson Trace popping up with us here at Faction Firearms. You may have even seen it uh, staged on our limited edition Mustang rifle that came out in the spring of 2020. Again, lots of cool stuff from them, just like the CMR204 or anything in their Railmaster series. We would encourage you to check them out at crimsontrace.com. Hi, and welcome to episode 46 of the Facts and Blogging podcast. We have a great show coming up for you today, a little bit of a double feature. First on, we have Tom Bacher from One Off Coding LLC uh, that's going to be on the show with us to talk a little bit about uh, really all things Cerakote and uh, getting your gun customized and kind of what he's seen this year uh, with the gun run and also the increased needs uh, for the services of his company. And uh, you may remember Tom was on with us earlier this year talking about our custom uh, limited edition builds of the Mustang rifle as well as the Nautilus and several other projects he's helped us with uh, this year. So we have some great footage that we shot earlier this year that uh, was actually in action at his shop doing sandblasting, doing the spraying, doing the lasering, doing the stenciling, the whole nine. So we'll be showing that throughout the show uh, with his segment and uh, also a little tease on our next project that we have coming up with Tom and the good folks at One Off. So make sure you stick around for that. Also, Evan Crowley, our national account manager, is on this week. And uh, he, just like you may have seen on our uh, social media feeds earlier this week, uh, he, as well as our good friend Pickle, one of our machinists, uh, both harvested deer this year, uh, Evan with a bow and uh, Pickle with a 350 legend build that featured one of our barrels. Uh, so we'll be showing some of those pictures and also talking to Evan just about how do you get started in hunting and how do you prepare yourself for the day or the weeks of uh, the hunt, depending on where you are. So we're going to have a little rundown list of some of the things that he recommends, as well as some resources for you to click on there. But before we go any further, this week's episode is brought to you by our friends at Caldwell. They just gave us a shipment of their new Emacs power cords. Now, you've seen before uh, us talk about the Emacs shadows, which are the totally wireless uh, earbuds that offer not just 
music playback and talking on your phone, but they're also active hearing protection uh, for when you're on the range or working with tools or anywhere where you're around loud noises. Um, But they also have now these power cord sets, which if you're more of a fan of the around the neck single cable uh, twist into your ear type style Bluetooth headset, uh, this is a great way to go. And same thing, it's going to give you uh, great hearing protection that uh, you've always known from Caldwell. So again, active hearing protection emacs power cords we're going to be giving away this set uh, so visit faxandfirearms.com slash blog click on episode 46 for all the ways to enter to win the emacs power cords without any further ado let's uh, hear real quick from our friends of the podcast then we'll hop into our conversation with tom from one-off coding I think it goes without saying that uh, pretty much every gun owner has their favorite tools, their favorite things that they like to keep in their range bag or at their workbench. Uh, And it's no secret for us that the Wheeler Fat Wrench is one of those. We have several of these up in our assembly area with our armory technicians. And it's because it's a simple, great device uh, that can be used in multiple applications. It's an adjustable torque wrench in a screwdriver type fashion with a series of bits that'll help you with everything from rifle takedown to scope mounting and everything in between. Fantastic tool. Uh, So if you haven't checked these out, you could go to wheelertools.com and they're available in a ton of places, including amazon.com. But make sure you check it out, especially if you're looking for that one missing piece for your workbench or you want to give it to a uh, new gun owner to help set up their range bag. Definitely a great choice. Again, check out our friends at wheelertools.com and take a look at the fat wrench. All right, well, welcome into our main segment this week. Our good friend Tom Bacher from One Off Coding LLC is back on the show with us. You know, Tom, you were on the show a few months ago when we did the uh, the Mustang uh, episode about the limited edition rifles you did with us, but you've been quite busy since then, uh, haven't you? I mean, you're yeah. all in your new facility and everything. You guys were just moving in there. Uh, you know, kind of what are some of the new things that are on the horizon that have happened since since you were on the show last? Oh man, uh, quite a bit. This year has been, um, something else. That's for sure. Uh, we're starting to get settled in the new shop here. Um, we actually just purchased a CNC machine. Um, so that's something brand new to us. Uh, we're getting into machining some parts, doing a couple things with that. Um, getting the guys out in the shop kind of trained up on everything with, uh, prep and getting another individual settled with, uh, painting and everything here. So, um, yeah, just trying to trying to keep up with the huge demand that we've had this year. I mean, I think uh, everyone in the firearms industry has kind of had something similar, but it's just been been crazy. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think some people forget is like they they assume, you know, people like us, like Faxon would have, you know, uh, a spike in demand with, you know, a gun run like this. But really, every other kind of parallel industry has also seen, you know, a, a, you know, a, a big uptick, you know, whether it's been yeah. people who just make cleaning supplies or, you know, uh, obviously ammo, like we're, we're dealing with right now. And then, you know, obviously folks like you who do the, the customization, Cerakote and so on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, especially for the, the, a lot of the type of work we do with manufacturers and stuff like that. I mean, as their demand goes up, our demand goes up with it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, Tom, today we're going to try to take, not the Rona, I promise, allergies. This (laughs) Ohio weather has been crazy. Right. Um, But anyway, you know, we have... uh, you know, some stuff that we did over Thanksgiving. You helped us out with Black Friday doing those black multicam sets and doing the OD green uh, builder sets and things. And we're, we'll harken back a little bit to our previous conversation when we did the Mustang rifle with you. Um, just about, you know, some of the process that goes into Cerakoting uh, and and even some of the custom laser work and, and things like that. Because, you know, there's, there's a lot more to it than I think some people realize, you know, especially especially as you get into really intricate design work. Um, And luckily when we came up and visited you over the summer, I have some footage that we haven't uh, put out of uh, some of the prep process, some of the sandblasting and some of the stenciling and, and, uh, and things like that. So uh, if you, uh, you know, if you have, you know, uh, some, some insights for folks who are, you know, looking to, 
get their gun customized. You know, I, I feel like sometimes Cerakoters, you get treated like, you know, barbers or hairdressers. It's like, I'll just do something you think looks cool. You know, I trust you, you know, that sort of thing, yeah. you know, well, how do you kind of guide people through the beginning design process, you know, trying to get them into what they want? So a lot of times what will happen is customers will send us something that they've found, um, you know, something through Instagram or something like that, um, whether it be one of our previous projects or something from another coder. Um, you know, we usually will take their ideas and a lot of the best projects do come from what you just said, where it's kind of a, hey, make it look good. Um, it's it's pretty difficult to um, exactly match what a customer has in their mind. Um, a lot of times, you know, if they're not familiar with the process and how everything works and how the colors are going to be layered and, you know, stuff like that, it's kind of hard to envision exactly what they have in mind. Um, you know, sometimes that can mean redoing projects, stuff like that. Um, I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, fairly difficult, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I mean, also too, is understanding for folks, especially on the, the furniture side of things, you know, a lot of things can be Cerakoted and some things cannot, you know, recently you just helped us do a build for a uh, former OSU quarterback, Cardale Jones, who was in here last week. And, uh, you know, he had an SBA four brace that he wanted on there and you were able to Cerakote everything except for part of it because Cerakote doesn't really take to rubber and, and things like that. Right. Right, exactly. And that's, that's always something difficult too. Um, you know, cause we do a lot of like the SBA three braces, SBA four braces that have rubberized parts on them. Um, we'll get a lot of stock or a lot of, uh, grips and four ends and stuff like that that have like a rubberized coating on them. So we can't do them. So, you know, sometimes what the customer has in mind isn't really even possible. Um, but on the flip side of that, um, I mean, just, the huge amount of different things you can do with Cerakote and, you know, utilizing something like a laser, um, really basically anything from a design standpoint is possible. Um, just a matter of how much work and, you know, how much time you want to put into it. Well, let's go through the, the process. I know some of the beginning stages, regardless of what the end design is going to be, you still have to do certain things to, to prep the gun or prep the receiver set for, uh, to, for coding. You know, when we send parts to you, if we're sending you some builder sets, uh, which we're going to tease here in a little bit, our, our next uh, batch of a project, um, you know, what is the first thing that has to happen when you get the parts in to get them, to get them prepped? So what happens is, uh, as soon as the parts hit the door here, um, you know, our, our guys out in the shop start processing everything, get everything split up. Um, you know, we'll start to get everything organized, you know, generally if we're doing a big batch of receiver sets, you know, we'll have everything split by what color it's going to be at the end. Um, and we'll kind of start working through it in batches. So we'll take, uh, you know, the first set of parts for say OD green, um, We'll get everything over degreased. Um, so we use, for most parts, we use acetone for a degreasing. Um, just removes any sort of, you know, oils, solvents, anything like that that could be on the parts. Um, next step, everything will get sandblasted. Um, everything's treated a little bit different with sandblasting as far as the substrate and, um, you know, what the current finish is on the parts. Um you know, from this point on, you're handling the parts with gloves. You don't want to get any oils from your skin on them or anything like that. Um, most parts will be outgassed in an oven. Um, again, any sort of oils, anything, any contaminants that are in that surface or in that, in that substrate will uh, leach out to the top um, so they can be cleaned appropriately. Um, and really from that point, um, you start to get into actually the painting process. So everything's organized. Um, we use these big wire racks and, you know, hooks, bring everything over the spray booth. And that's where the, the magic happens, I guess. Right. Yeah. Now the, a big part of this, especially if you're doing something that isn't just a single color, you know, is, is the stenciling. 
Um, you know, what, what is that process like for you? I mean, you, I, if I remember correctly, you do a lot of the stencil design on the computer and then you print it to a cut vinyl. Is, is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So I kind of have something brought up on the computer here. I know not everyone will watch this. They'll be listening to the audio, but, um, so depending on the design, um, we'll go through and I'll use some different programs on the computer and I'll actually design out, um, you know, all of the shapes and everything that we're going to use in a pattern. Um, we cut them out on a high temperature, um, vinyl that can withstand, you know, the heat of being in the oven and the way it works with, uh, say a project for you guys, what we'll do is, you know, I'll sit down and I'll design a set of stencils and I'll go out and I'll run one, one gun basically as a sample. Um, so I'll take photos of every step along the way. So, you know, we're spraying on two colors. We're flashing the gun in the oven for a short amount of time, just so we can handle it. Um, so it'll set that paint up just enough where we can touch it. Uh, we're pulling it back out. We're laying on stencils. I'm taking photos of the stencil placement, um, laying on, you know, another color or two and basically just rinse and repeat for however many steps it takes for that paint job. Um, then what I'll do is come back to the computer, refer back to those photos and I'll figure out exactly which stencil shapes are used for, you know, say that three piece builder set. Um, and what I'll do is I'll sit down on the software and, try to make it as efficient as possible for the cutter and for how much vinyl we use. So, you know, ideally we'll set one piece of vinyl where it has one rifle on it or one builder set or, you know, whatever it is we're doing. Um, so we can sit and run through and say, okay, we're doing X amount of these builder sets. You know, I need to print X amount of these sheets to go along with it. Um, so that's really, I guess the whole process and, depending on the, you know, final pattern we're doing is really going to depend on how, I guess, in depth that process is. I mean, sometimes, you know, you're just throwing down one set of stencils with a couple of colors and it's really simple. And then you can start to get into some really intricate design work where you're putting down, you know, lots of colors on top of each other, lots of sets of stencils. Um, and then, you know, getting into even doing laser work afterwards. I mean, it, it can be a pretty long process. Now, that's something that uh, I, I think was one of the most impressive things that we saw, especially, you know, that first time around when you uh, after you did the Nautilus for us, which had some lasering, but it was just basically putting an emblem on the handguard to moving right. to the Mustang, which you actually, you know, layered Cerakote and then used the laser to take off certain layers of Cerakote to make the edges a little more crisp, a little more harsh. You know, that's that's something that I think you know, some people going into it or maybe getting their gun done for the first time may not understand all the work that goes into that as far as like, okay, I know that this layer needs to be present. This color needs to be present. So it needs to go down first and then this top layer. And then I got to carve out that top layer. So that first color shines through, you know, there's a lot yeah. of, there's, there's a lot of, you know, planning and, and, uh, and, and detail that, that goes into that. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of planning that goes into that. And um, <laughs> unfortunately, with, you know, lasering through layers like that, um, that is a, a pretty intricate thing to do. And since it's usually the very last step of a project, you know, you already have all of your other paintwork done. Um, there, there's been times in the past, you know, where you come in at the very end to kind of put those final touches and burn through a layer and, you know, expose a little emblem or something like that. And you cut right through it and you're back to square one. And I mean, you're back to sandblasting off everything you just did and starting over. So that's, uh, that's always a possibility too, with something like that. Yeah. Well, you know, looking ahead to our next project and that is, you know, we're, we're going to be doing a, uh, a uh, website exclusive batch of multicam builder sets. Now for th uh, Black Friday, Thanksgiving, we did black multicam, which is just kind of like a, a toned down version, if you will, but true multicam has a lot of colors going on in it. What, what is kind of that, that color profile and makeup for traditional multicam? Yeah. So a traditional multicam is actually seven colors. 
Um, and several sets of stencils laid down. Um, there's a couple different ways you can attack it um, as far as which shapes you're laying down first. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're going everywhere from the super, super light, bright, the Benelli sand, which is what you would think of as like the small, almost white bean shapes and multicam um, to, I mean, a super, super dark chocolate brown for the dark shapes. Um, you've got, there's literally three different greens within there. Um, two different, there's a, a lighter brown and then a desert sand that are kind of that background uh, brown color to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's definitely a lot more, I won't say a more difficult pattern, but it's a lot more involved. Um, you know, when you're laying down seven colors, it's, uh, it's definitely a lot more time involved. Yeah. Well, and you know, something you had mentioned before is just like putting things in the oven, just out of curiosity, I'll kind of go through each of these oven processes. You know, when, when you do that outgassing, you know, what's the, what's your temperature set for that? Or does it depend on the material and, and coating treatment? It does. So it depends on the substrate. Um, it, it also depends on, um, I guess how quickly, you want it to, sorry, timer was going off. On the <laughs> sorry. Um, how quickly you actually want the parts to outgas, but, um, generally with metal parts, um, say you've got a barrel or something, a barrel to action or something like that, that you're trying to outgas, um, you'll run 300 degrees in the oven and, you know, usually within half an hour or so, you'll start to see if there is oil in that surface, that's going to start leaching out from some of those little nooks and crannies on there. Um, and when it does, then you're back to square one with prep. I mean, you go back to degreasing and sandblasting again. Um, with plastic parts, generally you're not worrying about too much outgassing. Um, but I, I never run plastic parts, anything warmer than 200 degrees in the oven. Gotcha. And then when you're actually doing the, the final bake, if you will, for paint to set up and, and everything like that, what's, what's typically the runtime in the oven and, and temperature that you're cooking at? Um, so again, that will depend on the substrate as well. Um, it can go anywhere from as low as, you know, 170, 180, if we're doing optics, flashlights, stuff like that. Usually plastics are cured down there as well. So um, that'll take around two hours for things to fully cure. Um, when you get into metal parts, um, the cure time and temperature is going to depend on the color. Um, so most of your, most of your H series Cerakote with your darker colors, you can cure at 300 degrees for one hour. Um, when you get into some of the lighter colors and the brighter colors, um, you can't cook it that warm. It'll actually burn the pigment in that Cerakote and kind of, give you this off color. Mm -hmm. Um, so you can do those at two fifty for two hours. Yeah. And, and, uh, we, when you were first on, we talked about some of the more common designs and patterns and things that people come in looking for, uh, when, when they come approach you about a project. I mean, is that still is, is camo and, uh, you know, I think at the time those battle worn distressed looks, are those still the two that are kind of topping your, your charts for a, a design request or has that, that changed a bit? Um, they are, we do a lot of, uh, kind of like a tiger stripe look as well. That's been, super popular. Um, that can be, it can be such a, um, the, the time of year will really affect it too. I mean, you know, yeah. around 4th of July, we do a lot of, you know, flag builder sets and stuff like that. But, um, for the most part, yeah, I'd say that's still true. Yeah. I think that's uh, interesting though. You mentioned about getting optics done. Uh, you know, I guess I never really, you know, thought about that when you are doing these, you know, doing the process, trying to make sure you're taking care of all the internal pieces, you know, cause I'm, I'm assuming people aren't just sending you hollowed out optics to do. I mean, they're sending you their complete optic to, to, you know, code up. I mean, is that, does that change your, your process at all? Or are there certain things that you could do to, you know, like a standard, uh, aluminum set versus what you would do to a, uh, uh, you know, to a full, you know, electro optic. Yeah, absolutely. So when we do optics, um, there's obviously a lot more time involved with masking. Um, you know, everything has to be a hundred percent, uh, 
perfect with masking, right? Well, you can't risk getting, getting pain on, you know, anything, right? So um, that changes a bit. Um, all of the prep work is done by hand on optics. Um, you know, you, I'm not going to take a scope and toss it in a sandblast cabinet and go down on it. So everything's prepped by hand, you know, usually with scotch bright pads. Um, so you're, you're basically just being very cautious with it. Um, when it comes to the actual paint application, um, everything is exactly the same. You treat it the same as you would any other part. Um, you're just curing it at a much lower temperature, you know, just to make sure you're not damaging any of the internals in there. Gotcha. Now, one of the, you know, last things I'll, I'll pick your brain about is some of the, you know, different coatings that, uh, you know, Cerakote has out now. And one thing I like to point out, and it's on your website is like, you're an official, like certified, you know, applicator coder with, from, uh, going, have gone through the Cerakote training. You know, some people are, you know, in their shed with rattle cans, uh, type, type <laughs> right. cars, but there's, you know, there's more to it. And really Cerakote has some more valuable properties than just aesthetics. I mean, there's, there's certain ones, you know, there are some that are just kind of fun. Like, you know, when we did the lockdown gun with you and like the, that green that glowed under UV light and stuff like that, right. you know, some of that stuff that's just kind of fun and decorative and about the aesthetic, but there are some, other properties to Cerakoting that could provide for protection of your gun and, and some other things. What are, what are some things that you think people don't realize, you know, Cerakote is good for besides just a, an aesthetic treatment? Yeah. So, I mean, Cerakote at its core was just designed as a protective uh, coating. I mean, that's, that's what its intended usage was for, you know, all the decorative uh, stuff kind of came later. Right. Um, but you know, it's, it's resistance to chemicals, um, to water, you know, basically to everything just makes it ideal for a lot of things, whether it be a hunting rifle or any sort of a hard used gun. Um, and you know, Cerakote offers a lot of other products as well that, you know, most people only think of Cerakote as a, you know, gun refinishing company. Um, they make, high temperature coatings that are appropriate for, you know, automotive and industrial parts. Um, they have all types of different clear coats that are appropriate for anything from, uh, if you had like a raw polished aluminum to, um, if you're putting a clear coat over hydrographics, they have a clear coat for that. Um, I mean, they've got piston coat, they've got really just all kinds of different specialty coatings. Um, and can be used in a pretty, pretty wide array of things. Gotcha. Now, am I allowed to ask? And if not, we'll cut it. Am I allowed to ask about that one coating that like, uh, Oh, something about, uh, is it infrared or like heat sensing? What's, what's that coating that you were saying? Like it, it helps get rid of like the heat signature or whatever. Yeah, sure. So, um, it, it's the gen two NIR Cerakote. Um, just bring it up here real quick and make sure before we say this, but I believe it's right on their website. Yeah. So okay. it's right on their website. So it's nothing too, uh, too secretive. Um, just the general public and even general like certified applicators can't purchase it. You have to have the letterhead, um, saying that you're allowed to, purchase this and that it's going to be used on very specific things. Um, but yeah, it's a, a gen two coding. Um, it says right on the website, you know, reduced weapons, visual IR signature detection. Um, so this is used in a, a military application. Um, if they're wanting to reduce the signature of whatever the item is that's being coded. Right. So that can be pretty much anything. Yeah. That's crazy. That's, Crazy. Yeah. I remember you brought that up when I was up there over the summer doing the old glory guns. And I was just like, whoa, that's mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, if people aren't familiar with, you know, like you were saying, Cerakote is a company, you know, it's more than just gun aesthetics and gun refinishing. You know, they're, they're an entire you know, huge piece of the coding industry. Most of yeah. us lay people, if you will, it's just like, oh yeah, I could get this color and I could do that thing. But they, they right. are very more, you know, application based than I, than I think that the general pu uh, public gives them credit for, for sure. Absolutely. 
<laughs> well, Tom, if people want to learn more about you and, and what you do at one off, uh, where's the best place for them to get in touch with you? Uh, Facebook and Instagram are honestly where we're at the most. We spend the most time on there and keep the most updated pictures on there. Um, you can also check us out at oneoffcoding.com. Um, you could always shoot me an email, uh, right to me, Tom at oneoffcoding.com. Awesome. Well, thank you, Tom. We're looking forward to uh, doing our next batch of projects with you. And hopefully if uh, the whole world could catch up, we'll have some more limited edition (laughs) fun stuff to do too as well. Uh, But we get asked all the time. People tag us all the time. Hey, who does your coding? Who does your coding? And so it's uh, great to be able to hand them off to another local Ohio company uh, to, to get their stuff done. So thanks for being on with us. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Yep. We'll see you later. If you're looking to up your game for gun cleaning and maintenance, you have to check out the Tipton Ultra Gun Vice. Uh, This thing is amazing. It's incredibly modular, uh, pretty lightweight, but really, really heavy duty all the way down to the steel tube frame. All these different modular pieces and parts, even the accessory trays are solvent resistant and uh, they have excellent gripping pads to make sure that you don't scrape up the gun that you're working on. Even work on things like crossbows. So if you want something that's gonna be the one-stop vice for all of your gun cleaning and maintenance needs, you definitely need to check them out. Uh, You could head to tiptonclean.com to check out all the specs, all the reviews, see some more photos, Uh, of this vice in action. We're actually going to be using this particular one for some research and development projects uh, for some new products from Faxon coming up soon and we're excited to share both those products and the footage of the testing with you. Uh, So again, visit tiptonclean.com and check out the Ultra Gun Vice. Well, welcome in. Evan Crowley is back joining us on the show this week, uh, taking a little break from the uh, food segments um, because uh, got people out. It's around the holidays. Uh, you know, it's a, a lot of stuff going on, but we are in hunting season, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, at least here in Ohio, uh, you know, Bo is already wrapped up. I'm tagged out. Uh, you're, you're already tagged out. So uh, that's... It's been amazing to see, this is my first full year at Axon, is to see everybody who does go hunting and everybody who, you know, actually gets to harvest something and all the, everybody's talks of like where they go and who they go with. And, right. you know, we, we posted a picture the other day of uh, Pickle with a buck that he brought in. Yeah, it's a great and, buck, by the way. Yeah, Congrats, Pickle. Yeah, great, great buck. Um, but Evan, you've, you've been in the, you know, hunting space for a while. And what I was hoping to do today is just kind of pick your brain for people who are maybe, um, you know, they're into shooting sports, you know, they might be into guns or they might be into archery as like for target, but they haven't gone actually hunting yet. Yeah. Like they're ready to go hunting. You know, what are the, the, the first steps, the first needs that you need to keep in mind, especially when it comes to preparing to go out for mm-hmm. a hunt. Um, so before we get into that, why don't you share a little bit of the background that that you have with yeah. hunting and, and kind of what you go for, what you hunt with and how you got started? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a lot to unpack. Um, anybody who's familiar with hunting knows that there's a lot of tribal knowledge, a lot of just knowledge that people, you know, I guess reverse Dunning-Kruger. You know, I know all this information that's in my head and it's just very natural for me to go out and put this thing together and make it successful. And it can be kind of daunting for somebody who's trying to get in and looking at it and being like, whoa, there's just so much involved, like calling, clothes, weapons, bow, do I go bow or do I go gun? Um, You know, just having the need and, or having the desire to get out there and and to be in the outdoors and to want to get hunting, that's that's the first step. Mm -hmm. And then partnering with somebody who can maybe mentor you along. I was actually introduced into hunting way later in life. Um, I was probably about 17 or 18. I was introduced into hunting, um, grew up country, but never had done anything like that and quickly got absorbed by it. You know, yeah. I'm the type of person that when I, when I get involved in something, I want to understand and learn everything there is to know about it. And with hunting, it's just so much information that you have to tailor it to what you're trying to do. Yeah. And so just having a plan. But, um, as far as me and my background, you know, I started when I was like 17, 18 years old, um, 
got my first buck a couple of years after. Um, some would call it like a once in a lifetime buck. It was about 160 inch, 12 pointer. So really big deer. Um, and I thought I was off to the races. Every mm -hmm. year is going to be just like this. I'm yeah. just going to go out and I'm just going to replicate this every year. It's not, it's, yeah. it's not the same. You're, you're dealing with wild animals, unpredictability, you know, in that. So with me putting some type of plan together is critical to, to, to being successful. Anything worth having is worth working for. So starting with someone else's plan is generally where I tell people to start, read magazines, read, you know, watch TV shows, watch how other people are doing it and try to incorporate that into what you're trying to accomplish. Um, watching TV shows and things like that, it can, it can be a little disheartening because these guys are going out making it look super easy, but they are doing things that make them successful. So just having a plan, even if it's not your own plan is, is just a, a really good place to start. Um, I've been pretty successful with the plan that I've put together. It's 100% yeah. my plan. Um, I replicate it every year so much so that I have a specific target. We were talking about vacations when we plan it, how, when we're taking off, I revolve my entire hunting season around the rut. Mm -hmm. Some people love late season, early season, whatever it is, but my plan revolves around the rut because I've been able to replicate it. Um, so I have six Pope and young deer now. Um, that's a deer that scores over 125 inches. Um, they measure it out different various points, beam length, width, girth, all of that. And then it has to be taken by bow. So I am, even though we're a gun company, I'm 100% archery when I try and take my buck, um, in the state of Ohio, because it's just a challenge that I've set out for myself. And with the plan that I have in place, I'm pretty successful with it. So I don't really want to change too much about it. So for the people who are very familiar, you say you plan around the, the rut for mm -hmm. the, those who, who aren't, you know, into that knowledge, what is the rut? What oh, yeah. is deemed the rut? That is the time of year when the woods are magic. It's the time <laughs> of year where you get in your stand and you can tell by the temperature, the way that the leaves are crunching, that it's just going to be a good day. You're going to see all kinds of action. That's when bucks are looking for a potential mate. Um, they get all full of testosterone so much so that their neck starts to get really big. Their body starts to change shape when they chase after the does. I mean, they run like a freight train through the woods. You can hear them coming from hundreds and hundreds of yards away. And it's, it's just a really cool time to be there because you don't know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, guys can have their plan. Their plan can completely revolve around one specific buck that's been living on their farm the entire year, picture after picture after picture. Then they go to execute their plan that buck's not on their property anymore because he's chased tail, mm -hmm. if you will, mm -hmm. to another farm and you're never going to see that buck again. So it's a really cool and interesting time. A lot of guys, it's, they don't like the unpredictability of it to where you don't know what's going to happen. All of your big bucks could have just, you know, went off to a different property and some other hunter's going to, you know, shoot them and you'll see it on a Facebook big buck group or something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just a really cool, magical time to be in the woods. You can make as all kinds of noise with rattling antlers. It's, we can get into calling tactics, but you can just do a lot of really cool and interesting stuff that if your plan revolves around late season hunting, you're not necessarily able to incorporate it. It's a completely different set of circumstances and tactics that you have to use um, to, to, to make yourself successful. So let, let's start with like that list. I mean, I, I think the first thing you said, you know, was finding someone or some representation of a plan, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, call that mentorship, call that whatever, yeah. you know, if there's someone in your life that is, you know, willing and available to help you kind of get into hunting, um, and kind of show you the ropes, make sure you have the beginning stuff, maybe bum some gear off of them, that sort of thing. You know, I, I think that's a, a place to start, but also too, uh, you know, the, the laws and tag limits and the department of natural resources depends, mm -hmm. you know, state to state. And, and sometimes in certain counties might have different, you know, different, uh, um, you know, limits or, or what yeah. have you, you know, where do you normally go, uh, just to make sure that you're in spec with all of like times, season openings, tags, things yeah, like that. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's good to refresh on every year on the game laws for your specific area. Um, each year before I purchase my tags, I'll, I'll look um, to see if there's been any major changes. Typically it's talked about within hunters. Usually it's kind of, they've taken something away or they've given something cool. A couple of years ago, Ohio experimented with a early muzzleloader season where you could go out and you could take a muzzleloader and sh it was dough only. It was like in September. So it was before the rut 
and it was on a weekend only and you couldn't use a bow to take a buck on that weekend. Some weird law like that. And mm-hmm. they took away the late muzzleloader season, which is kind of people's last ditch efforts. It kind of progresses with me anyway. It's like rut is my time to kill a deer. Mm-hmm. If I'm not successful there, I'll push into gun season. I've never taken a buck with a gun. If I don't get anything during gun season, go back into bow, bow tactics change out. And then it's like, oh man, my last ditch effort is going to be muzzleloader. Well, they took that away one year and it was full. Oh, everybody was upset about it. Yeah. And then the very next year, I think it was, they, they changed it back to where they took away the early muzzleloader and gave the, the late season muzzleloader and gave the bonus gun week. And I think they took that away too. So there's, it's usually comes about, you hear it through other people talking about it, but it's always a good idea to go on there and refresh. And I believe on Ohio, every time that you buy a tag, you have to select, I've, I'm up to date on all the rules and regulations. So you're then testifying that, Hey, I'm up to, up to, snuff on what I need to know. And if you go out there and you violate those, those game rules, you yeah. already agreed that you knew what the game rules were. So we've gone through getting started, getting involved, having that mentor, having that mm-hmm. resource, getting through, getting your licenses, making sure that you're up to, on all the game laws for the season of, yeah. of whatever game you happen to be going after. Uh, you know, deer season's a big thing here, you mm-hmm. know, uh, whether it's bow, gun or muzzle loader, you yeah. know, it's just, uh, you know, we were talking to uh, Phil Schreier from uh, the NRA Museum last week, and the main topic was, you know, hunting through history, just going kind of back through American history and what hunting was and the technology that came along and some of the social aspect that was with it. And one thing that he brought to my attention that I don't think I ever knew this was after World War II, there was a surge in game population because you had so many soldiers, you know, fighting in the war mm-hmm. and the game population just continues to procreate and procreate. And then obviously a lot of the manufacturing and everything for firearms yeah. and, and, and ammunition were going to the war effort. So even if you did have a lot of people home that wanted to hunt, it wasn't as easy to come by, at least not recreationally. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even think about and that. And yeah, he said there's like this huge surge and that's been a thing here in Ohio there it's you're pretty much always hearing ODNR talk about the population of deer mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, whitetail is a yeah. big thing here. I don't even know if mule deer exists. We don't have mule deer here now. Um, but whitetail deer are such a huge part of the wildlife spectrum here. And some of it is, you know, controlling that population for the health of the species. Yeah. Um, and the, there's a lot of it too, that it's for public health. You know, Absolutely. I mean, car accidents and yeah. all the stuff that goes on with, you know, in some, some folks that I've, I've known from out of town that come to visit Ohio. I remember we had people in for our wedding and stuff years ago. And they're like, what is with all these deer signs? You know, these yeah. deer crossing signs. Cause at the time we lived in a pretty rural area and I'm like, listen, man, like you, you got to be watching out. Right. Like you will almost to the deer almost always, yeah. you know, at, oh, at night out here. Absolutely. Have you, in Wisconsin, they have a saying that guys don't say, I love you. They say, watch out for deer. Yeah. That's their, that's their way of saying like, Hey, I love you, man. It's watch, watch out, out for deer. deer. <laughs> you yeah, know? Exactly. Cause it's like, cause I mean, Wisconsin, I think per capita has the highest concentration of bow hunters of any other state in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, Ohio's recognized as one of the big buck, States year mm-hmm. in, year out, you know, some world-class world record bucks, the muzzleloader buck world record is from Ohio. We have some mm-hmm. pretty famous bucks that are like in the Bass Pro big bucks, big buck tour. So if you go to like any Cabela's, um, there's a famous buck called the hole in the horn buck that has like a little bitty horn. And this thing's a mess. He's just all over the place. Um, but Ohio is known for producing big caliber deer. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, that's what goes in, into my plan. I, you know, I want to go after a mature animal that's of a certain age class and a certain score. Um, so, yeah. and then on the other hand, there's other guys that are, if it's Brown, it's down and they go out, they fill their, their tag limit and they're just happy as can be because, you know, they've got their freezers full and yeah. families taken care of and, you know, different strokes for different folks. But, um, the biggest thing is, you know, the, remembering that people are going to be getting into this and they're going to be new. And there's always some, sometimes tends to be apprehension. And like, I, I know this information, you want this information from you. I'm really successful at doing this. I don't know if I want to get you up to my level right now. So a willingness for, you know, when you find that mentor, willingness for that mentor to then give you the keys to be successful. Yeah. Um, You know, we have someone here that's, that's getting into, into, to bow hunting and deer hunting and 
my only objective is to make, make it successful. You know, yeah. it's like when you take your kids out, you don't want to take your kids out and you're hunting after your trophy buck. You want to take your kids out. So that way you're seeing deer mm-hmm. and seeing that deer, even if you don't even take a weapon with you, you're just sitting in a ground blind and you have your son or daughter with you and you're seeing that you're making moments, you're making history and you're ingraining in that kid. Like this is something that you can do with mm-hmm. my help and with yeah. my you know, ability to help you with it. Especially right now. I mean, like we've seen in a whole lot of, you know, parallel industries this year with uh, everything that the pandemic has produced as far as, you know, uh, what people are able to do with disposable income or with recreation time or Mm -hmm. or what have you, you know, camper sales off the charts this year. Obviously we know firearm sales off the charts this year. Um, And a lot of those other kind of random homegrown type activities like hardware stores were just run amok this year mm-hmm. everybody's like well i can't go on vacation i guess i'm gonna knock out these home improvement projects exactly and just like you know we we have guys here who you know like to go camping on weekends and so on sometimes if you go to a campground it's it's hard to find spots on the weekends yeah. these days because people you know it's you're not doing your normal types of travel so people are which i think is a a neat glass half full type of way to look at this year it's like you know so people are getting more into the outdoor space Absolutely. and and just like we've said before, we, especially when it comes to firearms and things. And, and I think the same is true with hunting in general is you don't want to throw up so many boundaries that people no longer want to be oh, involved, absolutely. you know? So let's, uh, so we've done the mentoring check game laws. We derailed a little bit there, but what is your, when you are planning and you are planning to go out in the rut, Evan, mm-hmm. outside of scheduling your time off from work or, or whatever, Yeah, you know, how are you prepping, you know, leading up to the day of the hunt? Yeah. One is asking my wife permission, <laughs> you know, <laughs> making, making sure and, you know, having that support on the back end. My wife is really great. She understands this is a part of my life. It's what I do. Mm-hmm. So when November rolls around or even the couple of weeks before November leading up to Halloween, she knows that I'm in that mode mm-hmm. and that she's, not going to have a husband for like a a week, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe two weeks out of in the month of November. Um, but then it's, again, it's my plan. It's, it works for me. Tailor this Bruce Lee has a, has a great quote where it's take what is useful, discard what is not useful and add what is essentially and uniquely your own. Mm -hmm. So take what I'm saying that, you know, what, what works for me, see if it works for you. If it doesn't find something else, cause that's all I did. It's trial and error until you become successful, try to replicate that success and see if it works for you. But my plan is typically, you know, a couple of days before the hunt, I start using a scent free soap. Now, you can talk sense. Some people will say, ah, I smoke cigarettes all day long in the stand and scent doesn't bother the deer. Again, it's what works for me. Um, so I use scent free soap a couple of days before I, I plan to go out. Um, around that time, I'll get a bin. Um, I'll take leaves. So I'll typically put leaves, something in the bottom of it. it gives it kind of like an earthy scent. Take all my clothes. I'll spray them down with a, a scent free soap. Um, wash them first, essentially, or before that. Wash them. Um, Man, I've never, I've never actually put out my plan. Again, this is like reverse stunning Kruger. It's like, right, well, this is my information in my head. It's what I naturally do. Now let me explain it how yeah. you would do it. Um, put all my stuff in a bin, making sure, you know, that it's, it's sealed off from, you know, my dog getting around it, mm-hmm. food smells, things like that. And then I just kind of put it away. Um, I've done scouting leading up to this point, um, trail cam pictures, and then basically just making sure you have all of your equipment lined out. I definitely am of the mindset of two is one, one is none. So I take, you know, several different grunt calls. Um, I'm a bow hunter, so I have two releases with me, uh, multiple arrows. So, you know, I just want to make sure I have everything that I'm going to need to be able to be successful. And one of my biggest tactics is that I sit all day. Um, once I get in my tree stand, I don't get out of it. I sit from dark to dark and I'll do that for seven to 10 days, depending upon my vacation streak. And then hopefully it makes me successful. Many, many years I've eaten a tag sandwich and that's okay too, because Mm -hmm. again, I've set goals and standards of what I'm trying to accomplish. And if I didn't accomplish them that year, what caused me to not accomplish those goals? Was it anything that I could have done better? Or was it just the way that mother nature played it out. Cause again, you're, you're dealing with variables that you can't control. You want to con- control as much as you can to make sure that you're as prepared as possible. But what if the barometric pressure isn't right that day and the bucks just aren't on their feet? What if it's just horizontal driving rain and you can't get out and you, all signs pointed that this was going to be the, the best day of the year. You have to adapt and overcome some of those issues, but looking back and making sure that you've done everything that you can to prepare for your plan to go and, and execute it and try and make it happen. So 
like I said, it's, it's, it's it is a very tribal knowledge driven activity. Um, there are some boundaries of entry as far as equipment expenses and things like that. But overall, if you can, if you can get through those boundaries and you can get out there and you can connect and, and be in, that's my favorite place to be. That's where I recenter myself. I reset for the year. Um, if I'm successful, it gives me, you know, something to go on and, and come back and have this, you know, triumphant story to tell people and mm -hmm. more further the proof that, Hey, look, this is what I did last year and I shot a buck. This is what I did this year and I shot a buck. This is what I'm going to do next year. And I'm going to shoot a buck. So it's, it's one of those things, just getting into a plan, having a plan that works for you and just trying to execute that to the best of your ability. Yeah. And how I really got started in my plan was I read magazines, watched TV shows, talked to hunters, and I absorbed everything, you know, the different types of scents that I went through until I found something that I like, the different types of grunt calls that I went through until I found something that I like. And that was just all in trial and error and, and, and trying to execute it to the, to the best of my ability. So yeah. it's a, uh, it's a fun thing to do. Um, it can be frustrating at times because it's, if, I put this plan together and then all of a sudden, if I would have just sat in this stand based on this trail camera picture, I would have been successful. So there's a lot of second guessing that's involved with it, but just overall dedication and, and making sure that you put a plan out there that you're willing to commit to and, and yeah. making sure that it works for you. And, and you know, the, the only thing that you should really hope, hope for is what am I going to do with the processor? How am I going to, how am I going to yeah. do up my meat this year? Yeah. Um, what's my taxidermist bill going to be like, you yeah. know, look, look towards those things. So, well, and that's something, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on purpose doing here is, you know, like you said, some people are more, you know, hunting, you know, gun hunting, some people, you know, there are some people who they just really dig muzzle loaders and that's yeah. all they do. Um, and, and like yourself, who's pre predominantly a bow hunter, you know, the, the thing that I think is interesting about this, you know, is obviously I say it with everything we talk about when it comes to legality, but, um, state to state, this is going to be different. Right. So like, especially with gun hunting, like, you know, like our, our guy pickle, like he harvested his buck this last week with a 350 legend with our barrel, with our barrel, um, which we can do here, but mm -hmm. you can't do that in every state. You yeah. know, the, there are some, you know, different laws about what type of, what types of guns and things you're allowed to use, you know, in gun season and so on. So I'm sure we will in in future times do another episode about specifically like, hey, what of Faxon can you take oh, in yeah. these states, you know, to go do? But regardless of if you're bow, uh, rifle, shotgun, muzzleloader, you still have to take care of the animal after it's killed. Oh, yeah. So you've talked about all the scent pieces, you know, the, your clothing, scouting and trail cams, having your calls, multiple pieces of equipment uh, to fall back on, and then having your scheduled plan. Are you more of a scouting out and walking around? If you are more of the, I'm in my blind, I'm in my blind. Um, when you do get to take a shot, and mm -hmm. you are able to harvest deer, you know, what are some of the tools that you always recommend people have? Is it a, a certain set of knives? Is it, you know, what, what are the things that they need to be ready for, especially, you know, for field dressing? Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing is knowing your topography and where you're at, um, how you're going to get the deer out. Um, there's been many times where you, where I've shot a deer or had buddies shoot a deer and it's just like, Oh man, I wish it didn't die there. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, you know, they, they, they kind of, they have different tendencies. Um, they'll run to water, they'll run to ease of terrain. So typically that's downhill. So if you're in a very hilly area and a deer runs straight down into a ravine, having a, having a way to get that deer out. Yeah. Um, this year's hunt for me was really special and, and cool because I've kind of always had a group of people around me that hunt. I had a quasi pro hunting group thing that I was mixed up in and I would always have somebody there that would help me drag my deer out, help me, you know, process it, whatever it is you know, it was just kind of that. This one was my first DIY. I scouted the tree myself. I put the tree stand up. Everything was done, harvested the deer, gutted the deer, did everything on my own. And that was really rewarding. So for me to, to talk about like what you're going to need is, is just really understanding your, your terrain, your topography, being able to get in there. I, I drove my truck, straight back to my deer, loaded it up in my tailgate and drove it straight out. So that was super convenient. Had I not been able to access where I was, I would have had probably a mile, mile and a half long drag by myself. So 
getting in that situation and understanding really what you're facing and, and, and how you're hunting. If you're hunting with a group of buddies, you know, having a plan of how we're going to get my deer out. Um, if you're hunting by yourself, obviously tailor a different plan, but a good way to get your deer out, knowing how you're going to get your deer out. Um, sharp knife knives are, are preferable, but if you have a sharp knife, um, like this year, I used a, a buck 110 as my, my gutting knife. Um, and then I had a little shred, um, through that was like a kind of like a skinner blade that I used. Um, yeah, so it's, it's to have like a specific set of knives or a specific thing. I mean, again, it goes into your plan and, and what you're, what you're going to carry, but typically everybody's carrying some type of knife with them. Um, field dressing gloves. Uh, I forgot those this, this year. So I didn't have any type of field, field dressing gloves or anything like that. So that made it a little all natural, uh, all natural, <laughs> all the sen all the sensories. So it's, it's pretty weird. Um, uh, that's awesome. Well, you know, Evan, I'll, I'll go through and uh, we'll, we'll make this list available on the blog post. Uh, so factsandfirearms.com slash blog, click on episode 46 for all the show notes this week and everything. And we'll put a little rundown of, uh, you know, Evan's uh, hit list here. Also, don't forget a couple of weeks ago, you know, we had uh, Mark Oliva from the NSSF on and they have a great resource called where to hunt, uh, org. So if you are getting into it and you need to go like, I don't even know where I'm allowed to mm -hmm. hunt, you know, I don't even know where to go. That's uh, a tough barrier of entry for a lot. Of yeah. People. Like how do you, how that do you is... know what the, the lines and restrictions are? Uh, so we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And then from there, you'll be able to pretty easily find what types of things you, you need to do to get registered, uh, in, in the state in which you live, but yes, go to factsoffirearms.com slash blog, click on episode 46 and we'll get all that going. And maybe here soon, uh, you could bring in some, uh, deer jerky. Yeah. Or get some jerky going. Some jerks. Awesome. Make sure it's extra hot for you. Mm, get some, none that, of that stupid that ghost chip. pepper, Carolina Reaper. <laughs> Make sure it looks like it's from the bottom of my oven. Oh yeah. That sounds great. All right. Well, thanks Evan. I yeah, appreciate thanks, it. Buddy. You know, it's no secret that the things that you keep in your gun safe are important. They're valuable. They're things that you want, you need, you need to hold on to, whether it's just your firearms and supplies, or I know a lot of people like to use their gun safes to hold things like tax returns and other important documents, family photos. All of those things are incredibly important. And to help keep better track of it and better maintenance on those items, Lockdown has a series of devices and utilities and tools to help keep those things things that you treasure safe. One of my personal favorites that we actually use here in the office quite a bit uh, around our storage for cameras and lighting and things like that is just one of their dehumidifiers. Now they have lots of other stuff. You may have already heard of the goldenrod. You've heard a lot of stuff about the lockdown puck. Uh, which is a smart device to help keep your gun drawer, your safe, your tools, even your wine cellar safe uh, and checking up on the humidity and the atmosphere in those places as well. We did a great episode with Lockdown several weeks back that you could check out at factsandfirearms.com slash blog, where we go through pretty much their entire product line and everything from the Lockdown Puck to dehumidifiers to even things like, you know, storage, rack shelving, things of that variety, keeping your safe, keeping your gun room clean, organized and protected. And you could even get something like this, one of their room or gun safe dehumidifiers. If you're looking to organize that space in your home, again, whether it's for your gun safe or just anything that you hold valuable, we'd recommend you go to lockdown.com. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. As always, uh, we would love for you to subscribe on your favorite video or podcasting apps. You could go to factsandfirearms.com slash blog, click on any one of the episodes, and there will be a graphic there for you to click and find all of the channels that we are active on. So please feel free, subscribe, share it with a friend, leave a comment, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if you have any comments, questions for the show, uh, suggestions for the show, we would love to hear from you for that that as well. All you have to do is email us at podcast at factsandfirearms.com. And in the theme of hunting, don't forget that we are in the second half of our sportsman giveaway. It's going to be wrapping up in just a few days. Uh, it features a custom fax and rifle that Tom uh, from One Off, who you heard from earlier today, helped us do up as well as some great brands uh, like Hornady, like Rocky Boots, like Bison Coolers, uh, Scentlock, Vortex, 
tons of stuff, great stuff from GSM. It's a one-of-a-kind prize pack. Make sure you go to factsandfirearms.com to enter. Uh, there will be a pop-up there for you as soon as you get to the website. So make sure you get in your daily entries for that, as well as to win uh, the Emacs power cords from our friends at Caldwell. Again, factsandfirearms.com slash blog and click on episode 46. Thank you for tuning in this week. Next week, we have a special show. Both Bob and Barry Faxon are going to be on uh, doing a year in review uh, of 2020, all the stuff that uh, we've gotten to do here this year and what they're looking forward to next year. As you've been seeing with some of our social media updates that uh, we are already adding on to this building that we just moved into this year. So they're going to have a lot of great stuff to talk about uh, on our next episode. So keep your eyes peeled for episode 47. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next time. We want to extend our deepest gratitude to military, police, first responders, and more by saying thank you with special pricing and discounts on all facts and products. Here's how you get started. First, you'll head on over to our website, factsandfirearms.com. From there, you'll want to click support and guardian purchase program in the dropdown. Then you'll see the instructions on how to get started. So let's just walk through those. First, you'll want to register for an account on our website. If you've already bought something from us on our website before, then this part's already taken care of. Second, you'll want to send a copy of your credentials or some reasonable verification of affiliation to customer service at factsandfirearms.com. We get a lot of emails where people are like, hey, will this count? Will this ID count? Will this VA card count? Chances are, yes, a lot of them will count, but make sure you attach an image or a copy of that verification to the email before you even ask customer service. That way they can expedite the process for you. As soon as the account has been created or updated, we will send you an email letting you know that you're ready to go. The discount will be available anytime online when you go to your shopping cart. If you have any more questions, please email customer service at factsandfirearms.com.